Um, it's a joy and privilege to be with all of you. Today, I want to bring to you another aspect of Christian life. Um, the question might surprise you. Said after me, together, two times. Where do you live? One more time. Where do you live? I believe God is going to surprise all of us, as he has always, as particularly he has surprised me all the time. God is a God of surprises, but he doesn't just surprise us in some, you know, uh, grandstanding way. But he surprises us in the regular, in the ordinary, in the so, you know, everyday life. How many of us come from afar, not born here? How many? So a lot of us, myself included, if people ask you, where do you live, what would your answer be? You know, I said, okay, I live in Canada. I live in Quebec. I live in Montreal. But really? Does it make me, because of my address, because of my geographical environment, make me living in that? Because a lot of people, and I know, like in Vietnam, perhaps here too, um, I'm, I'm born Vietnamese, raised Vietnamese, but I have Chinese ancestry. My grandfather came from China in the, uh, around the beginning of, I think around the First World War, 1914, 1917, around that time, he came to Vietnam. And he met my grandmother there. Uh, my grandmother was the Vietnamese. So my father was half. And he, he met my mother, and he married her. My mother was Vietnamese. So I'm one quarter. <laughs> then I met my wife. She's Vietnamese. By now, I'm 100% Vietnamese. <laughs> But does it make me Vietnamese because I was born and raised in Vietnam? Yes and no. It cannot be entirely no, nor can it be entirely yes. Because there are Chinese people in Vietnam, they live in their community, they speak Chinese, and they interact with uh, the, their, you know, the Chinese. They don't speak Vietnamese. They, 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 they are not integrated in the environment and society. Same here. A lot of us, Immigrants from different places, we live in our community. We worship in our community. We live in our cultural background. Are we Canadian? Yes. Are we Quebecois in a way? Are we Montrealer? Yes. Because Montrealer has become so diverse, so you know, it encompasses everyone. But where do we live? So let's ponder it, a question. But I want to bring you to the passage in Scripture. Today we will, we will have a good time Next slide, please. Okay, let's read together. I like us to read scripture together, shall we? Let's go. Again, the next day afterward, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, where do you live? He says to them, come and see. 
They came and saw where he lived and stayed with him that day, for it was about 10 hours. A remarkable encounter. There are four persons in this few verses. First was John. Second was John's two disciples. And fourth was Jesus. At the time of John the Baptist, this John was not John the Apostle. This John was John the Baptist. He was in his, you know, one can say in his height of the ministry. He was the preparer. He was the prophet that God has promised to the sons of Israel long, long time ago. And it was confirmed in the book of Malachi when God says, was the Malachi, the last prophet, there was 400 years in between until the time of John the Baptist and then Jesus. There was this great interval. And God has promised in ancient time that I will send my messengers and he will go before me to prepare the way for me and prepare the people for God. And that was, that was fulfilled in John the Baptist. Now, the life of John the Baptist is a miraculous life. But that said, that was not John's purpose. John's purpose was to introduce who? Jesus. The whole ministry and the life of John the Baptist is to prepare the way for Jesus to come. At the height of his ministry, what did he say? He said, behold, the Lamb of God, referring to Jesus. After Jesus received the baptism from John the Baptist. And you remember a few verses before that. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God. Who, what takes away the sin of the whole world? And then the next day in these verses, John said, he stood with two of his disciples. Imagine if you were the two, stand beside John. Who would this be? Who are these two disciples in relation to John the Baptist? What would you say? I'll give you a tips. <laughs> the Lord Jesus had three closest disciples, John, James, and Peter, or Peter, John, and James, or Peter, James, and John. <laughs> Depends on how. So who are these two with John the Baptist? These are the two closest disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was one like Elijah. He was solitary. He's a, the prophet in the desert. He doesn't bring anyone except, the Bible tells us, the two disciples stood with him. And what did he say? When he said, behold the Lamb of God, what did they do? And the two disciples heard him speak, and what? They followed Jesus. The first lesson we need to learn here, quickly we skim through this passage and we'll go into the depth of the question I have asked you earlier. How would John feel? The two closest of disciples went away with this Jesus. What would you feel? Would you feel happy? That is a natural response. But it doesn't matter whether you're happy or not. It is not in the picture. What is in the picture is that we must follow who? Jesus. 
Jesus, whether we like it or we don't like it. You better like it, because it makes your life easier. But very often we don't like it, and that makes our life very hard. And then Jesus turned. Well, Jesus walked and the two followed. Jesus knew and he turned around. And the question, what did he ask? Normally we would say this, why are you following me? The Lord turned around and asked them, what do you seek? One sentence, and it strikes at the heart. What do we seek, brothers and sisters, when you come to church? What do you seek? That is a very spiritual answer, and I would that it is the real, because there is a theological, spiritual answer, and there is a practical and real answer, and I wish that these two are together, but this is not often the case. We live in a compartmentalized world. We live in the world we call the church, and we live in a place we call the world. Am I right? We are very happy here. We are blessed here. We are wonderful here. We are nice people here. But the moment we walk out and we go back to our home, we go to our work, would we still be that nice? That is a question mark. I wouldn't say no. (laughs) I have too much respect for all of us as Christians and believers to say no. No, I wouldn't say that. But I would say it's a great question mark because we have to fight. We have to struggle. Because we have to face our realities life every day. In church is a haven of hope. Right? Someone said that once we come into the church, we check out all the negative things at the door. And I hope that is true with all of us. But then we will carry on. The Lord asks, what do you see? You know, one question of Jesus tells us that he looked at the heart of the people, not the appearance. He doesn't say, how nice are you, or how bad are you, how rich, how clever. No, he said, what is in your heart? And hear what these two answer. Remarkable questions. What did they ask? Rabbi, meaning teacher, where do you live? Have you ever asked this question? Maybe I once did. I asked my wife when I was, you know, going after her. I said, where do you live? I want to get to know her. I want to know your place, right? You see how remarkable are these exchanges in a short span of time? They didn't ask Jesus. Uh, John said that you are the Lamb of God. What does it mean? John said that you take away the whole sin of the whole world. How how, how does it come to pass? All these are theoretical, theological. All these are so spiritual questions. But none of this is real. Understand me? They want to know Jesus. You know the best way to know people? To know where they live and to know how they live and to live with them. They want to know Jesus. They want to know where he lived. And what did they do? The scripture tells us. How would Jesus answer? You come and see. You don't just hear me talking. You come and see. You come and find out for yourself. You come and make your own conclusion. Jesus never coerced, never imposed. He always invites. But he is inviting in such a way that is, is out of the ordinary. 
If you ask me the same questions they asked Jesus, where do you live? I would say, why do you ask? <laughs> you know, these verses were so familiar. But the scripture always surprises us because it speaks to our hearts, not to our minds. The great challenge of our Christian, the Western Christian world, and for that matter, the whole Christian communities in all these years, we always believe with our mind. We always think with our intellect. We always think with their cognitive ability. Those are important. But never more important than God always speaks to the heart first. And then He will change our mind. Without the heart being touched, the mind never been changed. You have no way to change your mind unless you change your heart. But we get the order wrong. We always argue, we always discuss, we always study. Yes, they are important. But have we touched the heart? Or has our heart been touched? And I would that God touch your heart every day. Every Sunday when you come here. So, the Bible says they came and saw where he lived and stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So they stayed with him. It didn't say that they discussed theology with him. They lived with him. So from these two verses, form the basis of my question to you, where do you live? Where do we live? Okay, next. Let's read together. Shall we? One of the two who heard, and John... Follow him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, the Christ. And he brought him, that is Simon Peter, to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, together we read, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Kephas. Peter, a rock, translate into Kephas was the Aramaic or Hebrew word. Translate into Greek, Peter, a rock. So four person, John, two disciples, one of them, Andrew, the other one, a great question mark, a good for Bible quilts, quits. The fourth one was Jesus. And then when these two met with Jesus and stayed with him, then this Andrew who went and who looked for someone, his brother, Simon, hasn't got the name Peter yet. The name that he was born with and grew up with was Simon Barjona. Simon, son of John or son of Jonah. The Hebrew does not have family name like us. Pastor Mario Catalano, myself, Guy Uong. This is our fa family lineage, the father's name. But the scripture tells us the father's name was not the name. Not yet. It was a person. Simon, son of Jonah. His family name is his father. You understand? Not just a name. It's a person. Everyone say person. Whatever family name you carry, it's not just a name. It's a person you carry. It's a hereditary quality in your life. You are the offspring, the 
the children of your father. A person, not a name. But the name is important. And Jesus said, and when Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon Badrona or Simon Sons of Jonah, Simon Sons of John. You shall be called Kephas or the Rock or Peter. Why? I told you that the scripture and God always surprises us. Simon, when he first met with this Jesus, what, what, what would he expect from Jesus? His brother Andrew told her, We have found the Messiah, you know. Peter comes and he says, Ah. Does this guy look like Messiah? Does he have all the pumpers, you know? All this is radiation and what? Power and energy? What does he expect? Jesus left no room for such inquiry. The moment when he saw Simon, he said, Simon Barjona, or Simon, sons of John, or sons of Jonah, you shall be called Kephas or Peter. Thus, his name Simon Peter or Simon Kephas. No longer called Simon Badrona. Why? Why? Why a new name? How does anyone know Jesus is a Messiah? What proof? The proof is in the sentence that Jesus said, You shall be called Kephas. You know Peter's temperament? was very impulsive, right? Always loud mouth, right? Talk a lot. I don't know. People normally talk a lot, does little. But I don't know about Peter. Is it, is it true? Normally people talk a lot because they spend all their energy talking so they, they, they don't have the energy to do. And normally when people do a lot, they, they talk little. Am I right? Jesus Take one look at Peter and say, you shall be called Kephas. This is important. God has a destiny for every one of us. What we normally call, God has a wonderful plan. But not just plan. It is a destiny. It was preordained. And when we came into this world, God has destiny for every one of us. Jesus was to call out that destiny in Simon. Jesus knows that he shall be Peter. He shall be the rock. He shall be the one that will help to shepherd the church. And we saw that in Acts and onward. Jesus called forth the destiny in Peter's life. That is only the Messiah can do. Only the Messiah can accomplish the destiny in every one of our lives. I said, this is the proof that Jesus is Messiah. Do you agree? Who else can come forth, can call forth the destiny in our life? Not just a little few, but every one of us. Everyone. We have a destiny in God. And when we met with Jesus, He will call forth that destiny. Together we read, the day after, Jesus desired to go forth into Galilee. And He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael 
and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses wrote in the law and the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. You know where did Andrew pick this up? From Jesus. Jesus purposely go into Galilee to find who? To find Philip. Do we find God or God finds us? But what is in Philip that Jesus found him? What is in Philip that Jesus finds him? And not all the rest. The answer is very clear. Jesus said to Philip, what? Follow me. What distinguishes us from all the people of this world? Because we follow Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you really following Jesus? Or you are following just a religion? You're following just a cultural heritage? Or are you really following Jesus? Would you say yes? No, don't say that fast. I must warn you. Don't say that fast. You know what? When Jesus said, come follow me, then the next sentence he said, take up your cross and follow me. How many of us like to take up the cross? A.W. Tozer, he's part of Christian Missionary Alliance. And he wrote several good books, The Pursuits of God, The Knowledge of the Almighty or the Holy. And in one of the sentences he said, when, God, when Jesus bid me call people come to follow him, he bid, he called them to come and to die. A.W. Tozer said that. How many people are willing to do that? Would you? This make Philip distinguished. This make us distinguished because we are followers of Jesus. We follow him. And Jesus says, unless and until you are willing to renounce yourself, take up the cross and follow me, you are not worthy of me. Is it in the scripture? Seldom is preached nowadays. There's a reason. There's a good reason. There's not so good reason. But that is another point. Then what Philip do? He went around and he looked for Nathaniel. And Philip turns out to be of the same city with Andrew and Peter. These people, they know one another. They're, packed, they're part of a gang. A good gang. A fisherman gang. Right? But this Nathaniel is different. He's not part of that gang. You hear what his question was. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can you tell something about Nathaniel when he asked this question? We have studied a lot of scripture, right? Familiar, no Nathaniel and all this sentence. Do you know why he asked this question? Why did Nathaniel think that the Messiah does not come from Nazareth and come from Bethlehem? What does it tell you? Nathaniel is the guy who are deep in the word. Understand? He knows. The scripture never mentioned anything about Nazareth. Oh, we take it for granted because the Bible said this. So we close it over. We miss many clues. Let's read together. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed in whom there is no God. Nathanael said to him, From where do you know me? 
Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You see how Jesus interacts with Nathaniel? It's entirely different from Andrew, from Philip, from Simon, Peter. The first thing Jesus did was, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no God. A commendation, a compliment, a shocking answer. Just a few words ago, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? Imagine if you come from, you know, Montreal or Sicily, or I've come from Vietnam, and people said, what good thing are coming out from Sicily? Well, how, how would you respond? You see how different was Jesus in comparison to all of us? First, he looked at the heart. He spoke right to the heart. Next, he called forth the destiny. First, he confirmed Philip, this great distinction. And when he came to Nathaniel, said, this is a true Israelite, the only place in the scripture a person received such a commendation. And he said, in him there's no gal. Meaning there's no, what is gal means? Gal means treacherousness. Gal means, you know, this deep um, motivation of, of, of fooling people, of, 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 of cheating. Deep down, not at the surface. And I will tell you, the majority of mankind, 99.9% are in gal. Because one way or another, we want the interest for ourselves, right? And that is the motivation. That is the motivation for Gal. When we want interest for ourselves, we find ways. Am I right? That is Gal. But how did Jesus know? You see how Nathaniel answered? He speaks straight to Philip. He said, According to my understanding, there's nothing good come out of Nazareth. He is so truthful. He is so honest. He doesn't mean to offend. And I must warn you, sometimes people like that get into a lot of trouble. So you better be very, very wise. You have to be wise. You have to be courteous. You, you, you're not forthright and you just offend. And some people say, using this word, a character of a bulldozer. It's bulldozer over people with their truthfulness, with forthrightness. It doesn't build up. It, it, it kind of destroys. But one good thing was, Nathaniel speak to his good friend Philip, not to anyone else. And when he saw Jesus, Jesus did not take offense because he knew Nathaniel is a truthful guy. Understand? God always looks at the heart. But this distinguished Nathaniel Jesus says, when you were under the tree tree, I saw you. What was Nathaniel doing under the fig tree? They sat under the tree to meditate the word of God. They sat under the tree to ponder about the things of God. 
They sat under the tree to meditate and to judge and to discern the matters retaining to their daily life. These are different people. And hear his answer. Rabbi, you are who? The Son of God. He didn't use the word Messiah, nor the Lamb of God, because he was so deeply impregnated in God's word. The Messiah is the King of Israel. The Son of God. This guy is deep in God's word and true and honest. But he got the shock of his life. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? How did Jesus see him under the fig tree? When did Jesus see him under the fig tree? How come Jesus saw him and Nathaniel didn't know that? We're all familiar with this, right? And we are shocked, we're surprised. Let me tell you, Jesus is the Messiah. This is the reason he understands, he knows, and his spirit penetrate, perceive the thought and the intent of everyone. That was said in Scripture. When the Pharisees were so upset about Jesus, you know, healing the man on the Sabbath day, and they were so angry. And what does the Christian say? Jesus knows what are the thoughts in their heart. And Jesus says, Brother and sister, please, don't mess around with Jesus. Why I say this? Because we are all guilty of this. Did you say amen to? We all mess around with Jesus. We do things that we, don't, we are not aware that Jesus knows. Please, please, do not mess around with Jesus. He knows everything. But he will not respond in the evil way. He always responds in the best possible way, the most edifying way, the most constructive way. And this is how Jesus said, you shall see greater things than these. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God come ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This makes the allusion to whom you know. I give this name that you all will know. Jacob's ladder at Bethel, the house of God. And in the dream of the night, he saw the ladder and he saw that the angel come up and down from that ladder. Where? At Bethel, the house of God. In Jesus, we'll see angels ascending and descending. Let us read together Psalm 84, 1 to 4. Shall we? Let's go. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord. My soul longs, yea, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh shout for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Your altar, O Lord, my King and my God, blessed are they who dwell in your house. They will still praise you. Where do you live? Where do we live? What is the connection of this with the John 1? I shall keep you suspense for a moment. How lovely, how lovely are your dwelling places, not just place, places, O Lord. My soul longs for the court of the Lord. My heart sings for joy to the living God. Thou art my King and my God. 
Where is this place? It's like a Buckingham Palace, where everyone has to be cordoned off that perimeter. Verse 3, even the sparrow, the sparrow has found a home. And the swallow lay her nets, where? On the altar. You can imagine that? The altar of God is so sacred, so sanctified, no one can come near except the high priest. And yet on that altar, the scripture tells us, they, the bird, the sparrow, the swallow, lay her young, make a nest. What does it mean? Make her home there. Can you imagine? Or oh, we imagine nice place. You know, we imagine Christmas, uh, the uh, manger, yeah. You know how dirty is a manger? How smelly it is? And someone says, you want to have a clean manger? And there is no animals there. Follow me? You want to have a nice and clean kitchen, sparkling? Do not do cooking there. <laughs> do not have your children mess around there. Is your house clean, sparkling, like in the showroom? What's the difference? We prefer clean, sparkling, right? We are not happy with the mess. But let me tell you, God prefer what? The mess. Why? He like the mess? No. He like life. Everyone say life. Life. Louder. Life. Get a life. God does not want ceremony. God does not appreciate good talk. God does not even prefer offering. Sacrifices. This was said in scripture. What does he prefer? Compassion, faithfulness, justice, mercy, love, life. What do we prefer? We prefer the rest except life. You see how how contradictory we are? But why on the altar? You know? Why on the altar? Why? You know what the altar stands for? We always think of sacrifice. We always think of gifts. We always think of this, you know, the high priest and all these things. No! The altar is where God meets with us. The altar is where God meets with us. He's not the God of sacrifice, nor offering. But when people bring these offerings out of a grateful heart, God meets with them. God is the God of life. God is the God of family. God is the God of relationship. What is the connection with John 1? We see all that was relational. One after another. One person to another person. They didn't go to big meetings. They didn't listen to a powerful preacher. They are good. These are good. These are proper. But what God wants is a real living and genuine relationship. Because he knows our heart. What does he wish? What does he want? He wants our heart. He doesn't want our money, much less our service. But the service, the offering, all these are meaningful because we put our heart in there. You got that? Where do you live? You live in a big house? You live in a nice house? Someone said, a nice, a big house, but there's no wolf, there's no family. You might as well live in a palace, but there's no life. Lots of people in this world, and I hope except the believers, the Christians, 
people live, like to live in huge mansion, you know, like those Hollywood celebrities. Their mansion is what, seven million, 10 millions? But what do you wish? You wish to live in a big house, nice, clean, and no life? I wouldn't love that, would you? But worse than that, you know where people live? We live in our work. Everyone say work. Everyone say workaholic. That is where we live. Am I wrong? No, I'm not. Every one of us live in our work. The moment that work was somewhat removed or somewhat changed, our life shattered. Where do we live? We live in our money. We need money, yes. But money is become our life. No, money is not our life. God is. But don't say it to the person who faces financial trouble. Don't say it to the, the guy who's unemployed is looking for a job. But say it to yourself, where do I live? And some people live in pain. That's where they live. Am I right? People live in regret. That's where they live. They live in bitterness. That's where they live. My address is a bitterness street. Number is a bitter. Everything is bitter. And across the street, there's this guy live in the place called Joy. He's always Joy. Where do you want to live? I like to live with my wife. She's always joyful. Even when she's upset, angry with me, she's still very loving with me. I like to live in that place. Would you? Where do you like to live? But it will surprise us. People do not like to live in joy. They get stuck in their bitterness. They get stuck in their pain. They got bound Change in the sorrow. And they don't want to get out of that. And some other people, we call it, they live in their old world. Or they live in their bubble. Or they live in their huge shell. Big shell, tough shell, impenetrable shell. That's where they live. And nowadays people live in a virtual world, cyber world. The, the, the French call it le monde virtuel. It's not real, but it looks so real. Everyone is in their world with their iPad, with their iPhone, with their all these. I, I was told four persons go into the restaurant and order food, and they all, each one has their iPhone, and they talk to one another by text. <laughs> and at home, when the mother had to call the children down, they text them, come down and eat. And they have to text their food to show them what kind of food. Well, you see that on the TV, television. Is it real life? My goodness, I wouldn't want for a moment to live in that. But yet all of us do. Where do you live? Where do you live? Brother and sister, we have to put on Christ every day. Whenever your heart is bitter, whenever your mind is confused, whenever you live and remember the painful mishap and misery of the past, cast it off. Put on Christ. How do I know it? I have been living this life for all these years. Don't you think I have no trouble? I have no sorrow. I have no pain. I am immune to hurt. I am insensitive. Actually, the Christian, because of the Spirit of God, lives in him and join with him the Spirit. He's the most sensitive person, but yet he is also the strongest person because he finds refuge in God and in Christ, his hope. So whenever you feel hurt, you feel pain, you know where to go. 
please do not go to the pastor. He has enough challenge of his own. I wouldn't say on his behalf, I say on my behalf as a pastor for all these years. And hear this, and you will laugh. I can't even solve my problem. How can I solve your problem? <laughs> Is pastor God? No, I'm a man like all of us. I can't even solve my problem. I have problem with my, myself, with my you know, shortcoming. Everyone has. If I can't solve my problem, how, do I, how, how can I solve your problem? The only one can solve your problem is God himself. You must go to God. And again, when you have complaints, when you have grievances, don't go to the pastor, not anyone, because they can't help you. Go to God. And tell him in private, in silent. He will understand. He will help you. He will channel you. He will refine you. He will illuminate you. How do I know? I live through all this. Whenever you are angry, you are upset, brothers and sisters, I give you an advice. Zip your mouth. <laughs> Very practical. And then go to an inner closet and kneel and pray. Pour out your heart to God. If you are upset, you are pain, you are whatever, zip your mouth. Go to a hidden closet, kneel and pray where God will heal hears you. And every put on Christ. Everyone say, put on Christ. Where do you live? In Christ do I live. Amen? Amen. Glory to God.